I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. We hear all the time that marketers at their core are storytellers, and there's no better way to sell your product than to put a story behind it. But what if your product is not really a product? What if the product is simply just analytics? How do you brand that experience? Jim Sinai was presented with that very challenge when he helped launch Einstein, Salesforce's AI for CRM. And he said there were two key things that stuck out about that experience. There's two actually really important lessons for all the marketers out there. One, research is important, but having a gut and a conviction is also important. Mark had this instinct that it needed to have a persona and it needed to be identifiable and it needed to be something that people could look at and grok onto. And the other was that you've got to pitch the story. You can't tell the story. When you're trying to sell someone on something that it's right or wrong, you can't just tell them why. You got to go into pitch mode as though you're selling the story to the press. While Jim is fond of his days at Salesforce, he's now the SVP of marketing at Procore, a company that is making waves in the construction industry by helping companies get things done quicker, but most importantly, on time. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Jim dives into what is making Procore stand above its competitors, including how to best understand and relate to your customers, and why every marketing strategy needs to start by identifying your unfair advantage. Enjoy this episode. This message is brought to you by Salesforce. Hey marketers, today's B2B buyers are more complex than ever, and every buying committee has different needs and goals. Salesforce can help. We'll show you how to put each and every customer at the center of your B2B marketing strategy, and you'll learn how top brands like Lyft approach account-based marketing. Salesforce, market to every account, speak to every buyer. Find free B2B marketing and ABM resources at sfdc.co slash every dash buyer. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and today we are joined by a special guest. Jim, how are you? I am great. Thank you for having me, Ian. Yeah, great to have you on the show. Excited to chat about the amazing stuff that you are doing at Procore and uh, get into some old Salesforce stories and fun stuff like that. Uh, Maybe talk a little ABM and and everything in between. So how'd you get started in marketing in the first place? Well, I, I joke to people that are coming up in marketing that I'm like the accidental marketer. I got into marketing because I got fired for, uh, from a previous job. I was out of business school. I was doing sales and I pivoted over to business development at a startup called Eventbrite. I was early there and um, I didn't really know what I was doing. It became pretty self-evident. And um, the CEO at the time, this guy, Kevin Hartz, uh, walked me out and said, you're pushing really, really hard, but you're pushing on the wrong door. So go find the right door to push hard on. And uh, it was the best gift he could have gave me because... I got to step back early enough in my career and start figuring out what I like and who I like working with. And I actually got, uh, decided I wanted to work at Salesforce because it's an interesting story. It's an interesting CEO. A lot of my friends were there, guys like Dave King and Scott Holden and Sarah Patterson. Uh, Trisha Gelman was the, actually the person that hired me there. So a lot of these luminaries that probably been on this show and, um, you know, I got a job offer in sales and a job offer in marketing there. I don't know how I got two job offers in Salesforce, but I did. And everyone told me to take the sales job because that's what I'm good at. And one person told me, 
go do the marketing job because if you ever want to be a CEO or if you ever want to do anything else, you want to show that you've done more than one type of job. And it all really comes down to the manager and uh, Trisha, who was hiring me at the time, just did put a really compelling reason out there that I would be successful under her. And so I took a leap of faith and I tried product marketing, not really knowing what it is. Sometimes I joke, I still don't know what product marketing is. And boom, the rest is history. So were you part of the famous Marketraz uh, group? I was. I actually had the worst seat because I had... So for the listeners that don't know, there was like Salesforce at the time, 4,500 employees. And the product marketers were in this like dungeon of a room off of the side of reception on some podunk floor in the Spear Tower in San Francisco. And they called it Marketraz because we were off in the middle of nowhere. It's a play off of Alcatraz for those not in San Francisco. And I had that cubicle that was right by the door when you walked into Marketraz. So I literally was like the, the social receptionist, which is kind of fitting for my personality. But I was the guy that was sitting right there when you walked in. So I had to say hi and bye to everyone every single day. I think we've almost had the whole Marketraz on Marketing Trends at this point. We've had Craig Swensrud, we've had uh, Sean Wiley, we've had uh, Sarah Varney, Scott Holden a few times. Like we've had uh, almost, almost, we had Micheline, we've had ton, just tons and tons and Dave King a few times. Like, so. The best part is that whole gang, we're all together on, on, a, on a group Slack channel right now. And best part about being out in the world as a marketing leader is having friends like that, that you can just quickly hit up. Hey, what are you guys doing about this? Or has anyone solved this? And Robin Daniels the other day was asking about like, you know, lessons learned from virtual events. And it's just, it's one of those, those safe spaces uh, that is kind of a well-earned thing. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things that I think people don't necessarily kind of realize about Salesforce necessarily is that it was one of these places where like, there was a lot of people trying to do really hard work. There's, you know, potentially a little bit of internal politics. There's people trying to, you know, make amazing stuff, but that, you know, so many of the people went on to do great things and are still really close, Yeah, which I think is a testament to like how hard it is to build a culture like that, a culture that competes that, you know, tries to do amazing work, but also can, can still, you know, stick together years later. Oh, we were so competitive. It was so, I mean, it was fun, but it was, we were a competitive bunch and I, you know, like I would extend it, like, it's not just a thing like, Oh, back in the day at Salesforce, uh, you know, nowadays, like, I, I look at all these companies that are having their moment. And what I tell people is like, you can't see it now because you're in it. You know, you're in the, you're in the swamp right now, but like you will look back at these hard days and these hard times as the most formative things in your career. And what you are doing is not actually doing the work of the marketing job. You are actually learning how to build this resiliency that you're going to need to, to go to the next level. And you're building this network that's going to be there for you forever. You know, it's the modern day fraternity, if you will, the hazing, safe way of hazing people. Yeah, there you go. Well, and it, you know, it's one of the reasons why we created this show in the first place was having conversations with, with people like you all and wanting to evangelize that, wanting to share that with more and more people so that these insights, you know, don't get trapped away in, in, in your brain and we can kind of recall them and, and, and take some of those, you know, those nuggets and, and share with a lot of people. You know, one of the things that, that you did was leading the efforts for, for uh, Salesforce's Einstein platform, which is really unique in a lot of ways. So how did that, how did that come to be? I'm probably going to uh, 
Butcher the Year. I think it was 20, 2016 that we launched Einstein. And one of the things that was happening at the time was AI was becoming a, a big trend in the industry. And we were trying to, you know, we were doing a bunch of things in the product that were bringing in machine learning. And, you know, IBM was already out there with Watson. And I was working on this business unit called Salesforce IQ, which was an acquisition. And we were like basically trying to figure out how do we put all this stuff together? Um, we were building a ground up machine learning platform for, you know, for the data in the multi-tenant data in Salesforce. And Mark basically, you know, gets all the credit for this. And I'll, I'll tell you the story why, but he basically said, well, we got to take all these little things and we got to wrap it together and tell a story around it because this is an important trend and this is an important movement to helping people understand where the future of software is going. And, you know, so he, he, he tasked us to go figure it out. And I, because of the, my role at Salesforce IQ and who was reporting it to at the time, it was sort of my, my ball to carry forward. And I went out and did all the things that I had been taught at Salesforce. You go talk to customers, you go do the research, you go listen, you know, the only answer is what, uh, is the answer that's validated in the world. And the answer that was coming back loud and clear from all the testing and focus grouping I was doing is that nobody liked the name Einstein. So, you know, midsummer 2016, I had a dream force. I'm in a meeting and Mark's on his, I think, uh, his video conference in Hawaii and I'm on a meeting and, and he said, well, let's talk about the AI. Where, where are we at that? And, you know, I started bringing up the research that shows where the names are testing. He's like, this is a waste of my time. Get out of here. <laughs> Literally kicked me out of the meeting. And I was like, I went downstairs and poured a, poured a very tall drink and reflected on what I did wrong in that meeting, called my boss, like, is this fixable? She's like, yep. Uh, and so a week later, I came back to him uh, in another meeting and, uh, you know, I pitched the story of Einstein. And, you know, the lesson that I, that I share there is that there's two actually really important lessons for all the marketers out there. One, research is important, but uh, having a gut and a conviction is also important. Mark had this instinct that it needed to have a persona and it needed to be identifiable and it needed to be you know, something that people could look at and grok onto. And the other was that you've got to pitch the story. You can't tell the story. And that's, I don't know if that's come up in the conversations with other marketers you've talked to, but like, you know, when you're trying to sell someone on something that it's right or wrong, you can't just tell them why you got to go into pitch mode as though you're talking as a, you're selling the story to the press, because that's when people will be like, yes, that's a story I could sell or no, that's not a story I could sell. And, um, I think that, you know, the, some of the, the better marketers I see like inherently know when to flip into pitch mode instead of talk about it mode. Yeah. You know, it was funny. I was talking to Scott Holden the other day. Uh, he and I were catching up off the air. Love that guy. He was my boss after Trisha. Oh, Scott's the best. I love Scott. And so we were talking about some like website stuff and he was, he was talking about being in meetings with Mark Benioff and how it was like defending your position for like, why is this there? Like, why is that bullet number two? Why is that bullet number one? Like, tell me why. Like those sort of things, like defending your position and having a reason for those sort of things. And again, it seems like it's, it's like the obvious stuff, but it's just very purposeful. And like you said, you have to pitch why this is the important thing, not just say like, oh yeah, this is our, this is our top feature. This is our top benefit. This should be, you know, the top thing or whatever. It's like, you actually have to dig into why. And it's a, it's a great, uh, it's a great lesson. Yeah. 
I just keep asking why. So, um, you know, flash forward to today, Procore is an amazingly cool company, very cutting edge in an industry that in some ways is extremely cutting edge. And in other ways, it has been a little bit behind. And it's, a, it's an industry that is very unique and one that's poised to, to grow uh, a ton over time. How did you come into the role of Procore and why were you so excited to, to join? Yeah, I mean, uh, so maybe I should step back and make sure everyone understands what, what we do at Procore, and then I tell you about how we got here because I think that what we do is part of the reason why I'm here. You know, the construction industry is one of the most important industries in the, the global economy. You know, everything we do from uh, working on our, you know, the computers that we're working on right now and the phones that we're on right now were built in something in a warehouse or a manufacturing site that was built with construction. The roads that we use are built with construction. The homes that we live in are built with construction. It is that economic engine that is constant across the, the globe. And it inherently is a, you know, when you talk about technology and construction, you know, it's not computers. It tends to be things like, uh, you know, materials and, uh, and equipment. And, you know, those are real, you know, you go to these, job sites and the Ukraine's pulling things up hundred stories high, that's a form of technology to, to construction. But the challenge of the industry is that on any major project, even a house project, you can have 40 different companies working together to deliver that project. And it all has to work in a sequence. The work has to be done collaboratively in a sequence, but none of these people actually work for the same company. And so the whole genesis of Procore is how do you connect all these people working on a project together on a single source of truth that is the, um, you know, the system of the data and uh, as well as the system of engagement and that collaboration platform that allows them to resolve any conflicts. And, you know, Procore, I, I came across, Procore is based down in uh, Carpentry, California, just south of Santa Barbara. And I came across them on, when I was on paternity leave and I was starting to think about you know, do I want to spend the rest of my career at Salesforce, which is not a bad thing. And I think if I kept saying, if I, if I don't leave, I'll spend my career here and it'll be a great career. But if I stay, I'll, I may not know what's out there. So I started going out and talking to some companies and I found this company that kind of was off the radar because it wasn't based physically in Silicon Valley. And they were working on something that really appeals to something that I care about, which is the built world. And, you know, my first job was in construction in high school and college. And, you know, I got to watch the Salesforce tower go up. I would like literally sit at my desk and watch, you know, cranes hauling things up and down. And I was, you know, just like, just such a fascinating thing because you can see it and you can touch it and it's a mess, you know, like you've all seen a construction site. Like, does anyone think like fondly of a construction site? Totally. Yeah, it's like stuff everywhere. There's rebar. There's there's always the orange spray paint that's just like on a piece of plywood, right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, I mean, I you know, I got really enamored with this idea of going to work on something that's going to have a meaningful impact in helping our our the industry of construction build more efficiently. And you know, the the heartstrings of that story also is that like you know if. If Procore is doing what what it's supposed to do, which it does, then people are able to go home a little bit earlier in the day because they don't have to stay in the job trailer that long and they don't have uh, to do as much rework and waste as much materials, which has an impact in the environment and uh, the overall cost of building goes down. 
So there's, there's just, you know, like it's a really cool story. And then the company itself was just a growth, you know, uh, was just at a perfect size of company coming out of a large company. There's a, um, an old Salesforce executive, a guy named Kendall Collins, who, who used to talk about, uh, you know, you got to go, you got to go up and down the ladder of companies and figure out which one is the right. He actually called it the, the drunk ladder. And, uh, you know, the analogy he says is like, you know, uh, you leaving Salesforce to go to a 50 person company is like showing up at the bar at 2 AM and your friends are, have been there since 8, 8 PM. And you have to decide whether you're going to play with them or not, because the amount of crazy <laughs> that six hours of drinking, <laughs> the difference of six hours of drinking is going to get you it's going to drive you crazy. Um, I don't know if that makes sense to everyone, all your listeners. It makes a lot of sense to me. And so I was just like, I had to find that perfect size company and Procore when I joined was doing about 250 million in revenue. And uh, today we're north of 400 million on, on our way to a billion. Well, and it's, I think that people oftentimes don't necessarily realize that construction specifically is, it's a combination of, 50 different people's businesses at once, kind of like you were saying. It's not just like, oh, these are stakeholders that are tough, but they all have different businesses. And different goals. Yeah, totally. Exactly. Totally different goals. Well, you know, I, my, the, the old joke is like, you know, the, why do they call them contractors and not builders? Because everything is, you know, the contract is actually what matters, right? The contract is, is who pays for what when, you know, it's the fan. Well, and yeah, and like to, you know, <laughs> to your point there, it's like people will win contracts to win it, right? Not because it's the most profitable deal. You know, it's not like it's not like selling software or selling another type of thing. It's like, well, hey, if we do this at a loss, like it'll mean that we get more business in the future or things like, well, I guess that is kind of like software sometimes. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> it's exactly like that. Well, I mean, that's a trend we saw over the last year a lot when, you know, when the world was when the economy wasn't doing, you know, you see contractors moving into survival mode where they're taking jobs that aren't profitable, but they keep their crews employed and keep their, their equipment being utilized. Yeah. Most good contractors though, know how to create a margin and protect that margin. And that's why they use our softwares because, you know, if there's mistakes that are undocumented, that comes out of their end. But if it's a documented mistake and, uh, and it's, you know, the change order is signed off by the owner, then the owner pays for the change. And so that's, you know, part of it is having a system of record that helps preserve their margins. Well, I think, and, that, and, and kind of where I was going with that is like this idea that, that transparency, that like a lot of these, you know, not to, not to go back to the Salesforce example here, but, you know, the same sort of thing that was happening for, for salespeople, you know, back in the day and, and marketing people and all these is like, there's just... I got a better analogy than Salesforce is... is Prior to Bloomberg, Bloomberg is the original SaaS company, right? In the 80s, they were dropping T1 lines into their customers and selling a monthly service. But nobody knew what SaaS was at the time, so they just called it the Bloomberg service, the Bloomberg terminal. But Bloomberg went into the bond market in the 80s. And you know, if you've ever read Bonfire of the Vanities, there's these, mm -hmm. you know, it's all about bond traders and the amount of money they made on these fat, mar the fat spreads between bonds. And Bloomberg brought transparency to the buy side and sell side of that market through collaboration and data and ultimately like created thinner margins on bonds, which ultimately are better for investors in the over economy writ large. Yeah. It's funny. You know, I, I did an interview recently with um, the head of, of, of flexport.org, but we were talking about like the, like 
freight forwarding sort of similar sort of an example where you have like all these different people, you're crossing like country lines, like all these things, but the, the complexity of all of these different people being on one platform with different motives and different ideas of success and different, uh, all of that different stuff creates a picture that is extremely cloudy. And when we sell technology, we want it to be simple and fast and secure and like all these things and, and construction oftentimes is not that way. So I'm curious, like, how do you think about marketing to these different personas, to these different groups of people that have such different agendas potentially, uh, and to get them on the same page? Well, I think the the first thing um, that's, I think, really important is to understand that we're vertical SaaS. And when you're doing vertical SaaS, the expectation is more than horizontal SaaS to speak the language of the industry. Totally. So my, you know, my predecessor did a great job of really setting our brand up with the team to, to speak the language of construction. We hired construction people into the marketing group. We, um, you know, we did uh, events that were catered to them. We had a NASCAR sponsorship. We used a lot of humor in our marketing we basically were really clear that we we speak the language that you speak and that that first and forward, like we care about construction, we care about you. We launched this um, .org, Procore.org, and it was all about giving back and to teaching construction software to people that are in school for construction management, as well as for doing continuing education for all the project managers out there that need their CE credits. And those are the kind of things that I think helped us show up as a partner. And then the other thing that, that we really focused on was really trying to be clear that we are not asking companies to change how they work to use Procore, but the Procore is built for how they work. And what I mean by that is, you know, we are our team, the Procore team is not just software engineers and marketers and salespeople, but there's also a bunch of construction professionals that work here. And we really went off, went after like, well, what is the problem? Like, how do they do their job today? And where are the pain points? And we took this really analog workflow and digitized it. And literally didn't try to change it, just digitized it. And that process helped us show up that like, hey, we really understand how you work and that adopting us isn't going to be, isn't going to be the change in how you work. And then the last thing that the team did, and again, this is stuff that preceded me is really leaned in on total customer experience. And so when you buy Procore today, we implement you for free, regardless of how, how big you are. Uh, and you know you get customer success, which is now kind of table stakes of all SaaS companies, but you know it's, it's a key, key differentiator in the construction vertical. And we really focus on making sure that, you know, that the sponsors are getting the adoption they need out in the field. And you know, once people get used to using Procore on the job site, they don't, they don't go back. That's incredible. I didn't know about the free implementation piece. That's a great, that's a great idea. Cause I'd imagine that's a huge barrier to entry. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's expensive, you know, and, and, and we're, we're cognizant that it's expensive and, it, and we do it at different, you know, we have a scaled out program for down market. And then as you go up market becomes more bespoke, but if you're going to, if you're going to spend all this money to acquire a customer and not make sure they're successful from day one, then you're you're putting a lot more risk on that recurrent revenue, right? And the, the the holy metric of SaaS companies is that net retention number. So if you want to bias the net retention numbers, get that customer implemented and do it early. 
So did you oversee part of that or the messaging around that? Or like was marketing involved in in that type of uh, the equation? We definitely uh, contributed to it. You know, we, I like to tell my marketing team that we run a stakeholder marketing group, which means that everyone in the marketing has a stakeholder that they're working on, they're working uh, to support. Yeah, that's cool. And so we have market, we have a customer marketing team and their stakeholder is my peer, Gabe Miller-Smith, who's the head of customer success. And, um, you know, they work with Gabe to identify what we need to market ahead of the sale about our customer value prop. And they also help create those onboarding journeys uh, so that there's the right, you know, welcome experience that gets rolled out to customers. That's really cool. I hadn't heard that. You know, I, you always hear the, uh, you know, marketing has two customers, uh, sales, and then your actual customers, right? But I, I love the idea that you actually have stakeholders within the company. I always feel like that the head of customer success never has the marketing ammo at their arsenal. Like you, you do at companies like Salesforce because it's like dyed in the wool that customer stories are like a currency. But for a lot of other companies, they don't necessarily have that. It seems like your company has a pretty clear DNA around telling customer stories. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's two elements of customer marketing, right? There's like, what is the customer experience and the journey along the, the lifetime of being a customer, the onboarding, the, the sort of the maintenance of the customer, the cross-sell, the renewal, but, and then the other is the customer stories. And, you know, the reason why cross-sell, why customer, why marketers and CMOs need to care about the customer marketing function is really because, there will be an inflection point at any successful company where you're going to start getting more revenue out of your existing customers than you will out of your new logos. And, and that, that comes from cross-sell and upsell. And so you have to think about how are you creating the loyalty uh, and the movement really around uh, your customers. We do that at Procore by, we call our customers groundbreakers, right? We say that they're not, they're not just people in construction. These are people that are really trying to, push against the status quo that are, you know, quite appropriately breaking new ground, which is a, a, a important phase of construction. And so we call them groundbreakers. And then we, we really try and orient everything we do, both to new logo marketing and customer marketing on telling their stories. And the fun part at Procore is that, you know, the one thing those, you know, going back to those 40, 50 different companies that work on a project, the one thing they do all have in common is they are extremely proud of the thing that they built. They're extremely proud of that project. So it's not just telling stories about the companies, but what they built together as a team. So right now we, um, you know, we have a story out there about LaGuardia. Uh, if you've ever flown to LaGuardia pre-pandemic, oh yeah, it's not a great, not a great terminal experience. And Skanska and Walsh, two of our customers, led a multi-billion-dollar rebuild of Terminal B. Uh, came in on time and under budget. And so, you know, what we're trying to do in our marketing is put that project up on a pedestal and say, look at, you know, you can build, you can build LaGuardia terminal on time and under budget with, with great technology like Procore. That's rad. Raider Stadium, Allegiant Stadium in um, Las Vegas built by McCarthy uh, and a joint venture with, oh, I'm blanking on the other name. It's going to come back to bite me. But they, you know, they came in under budget on time. Ram Stadium in LA under budget and on time because people are using technology to work together. And these are iconic projects that you can point to. And, you know, for my five-year-old twins out there, I can tell them what daddy's working on by showing them things rather than talking about like ethereal software. 
That's so rad. I love that. Why I told a story one time for for a different podcast that we did about we did a whole story about the the Empire State Building about back in the day. Like what's so amazing is back then the thing that was that was so uh, amazing about the building, other than being the tallest building in the world, is it was like way under budget and way early and things like that. I just like find endlessly fascinating. And I'm a Raiders fan, so I definitely uh, appreciate the uh, the beautiful building in uh, in Las Vegas. There, unfortunately, it's not in Oakland, but that's okay. But it's it's so amazing that type of stuff. Where I want to talk about a huge pain point in the industry is like you know under budget on time, like or on time on budget. Wow, that's that's a compelling narrative. Yeah, and and you know when things go over budget, that's when people groan about infrastructure. That's when people groan about, oh, here's another bloated project and people are lining their, lining their pockets with, with money. And, you know, like it's a trust issue. And so if builders can, can live up to their word and deliver uh, on time and under budget, they will be more trusted. So you all have such a clear brand and identity, and I know you invest in this and it's, um, it's something I want to talk about for a little bit. You call your customers groundbreakers. Your event is called Groundbreak. You have extremely clear like personas and all that stuff. Uh, I know because I've worked with your team and Maliki and the amazing team on the creative side. Yeah, we have a really great creative team. Big props to them. Yeah, huge props to them for just like exceptional work. And then all the other people, it's not just them, like everybody in the organization that, that I've had a chance to work with and Alea and everybody. It's just such a clear vision of like who your customers are and like... It's a very reverent respect to your customers and understanding of construction and all of that stuff. But I feel like some of that like stems from the fact that you have like a name for them, right? And like obviously you have, you know, the Salesforce Trailblazers and you have things like that. There's other companies that do this, but like how important was it for you all to kind of like make that distinction and be purposeful about that? Well, I don't think it's a must, but I think it was a nice thing. And I think if you go back to like marketing 101 and you try and talk about, you know, what is, what are your unfair advantages in the world? You think about positioning your company, you start with what are your unfair advantages? And when we look at our unfair advantage, the one thing that we have in spades over all of our competitors is customer success. Mm -hmm. Our customers freaking love Procore, right? And so when I got here, I was really trying to figure out how to pull that thread. Like, well, our customers love us and how do we get them, you know, really winning is getting them to do the marketing for us. Because in this industry, like people buy because of referral, because of word of mouth, not because of our, I mean, we have a great sales organization, but let's be clear, like people buy Procore because someone else tells them that Procore is awesome. For sure. And so, you know, when we started unpacking what our unfair advantages were and what our customer profile is, we, we tried to identify, well, what makes a Procore customer versus not a Procore customer? Because not everyone in construction uses software and not everyone in construction uses Procore. So, you know, I was trying to find a way to get our team to articulate the gestalt, the emotional connection of our, of our customer and a way to really celebrate some of the, you know, put it a different way, like just the crazy risk-taking that it takes. Uh, to be in this industry. And uh, so, I mean, the thing I love about this industry too, is that so many of the the people that own construction companies are like original entrepreneurs. You know, these are people that set out to build a business. Uh, they hustle blood, sweat, and tears. There's no secret sauce to building a construction company because everyone does it. 
And so it's really about having the, the guts to go do something and to be a little bit better than that next guy. And there's plenty of millionaires who started a construction company and made millions on their construction company. It's a, just, it's such a noble profession. And we wanted to figure out a way to elevate that and, and really tip the hats to the owners of the companies and the people that took big risks to bet, to bet on themselves. Do you think that anyone has ever told their stories quite the way that you do? Because I think about this a lot, um, obviously, like, you know, making podcasts and all that sort of stuff. But I think about it a lot where, you know, you interview people who, or you talk to people or you, you know, you write stories about people. And there's just so much, especially now, like, especially in the current culture where like a lot of media is like, you know, every, every other headline is like Elon Musk, right? Because that's like what gets, oh. gets clicked on, right? I'm reading his, his biography right now. It's that, that man's amazing. It's, it's, it's incredible. But I'm so curious, like, do you think that, you know, how many of those really successful entrepreneurs, like you mentioned, like one of my buddies in construction and the company that, that he works for, I'm like, I never see them. I never see glowing stories about them. I never see high quality videos. I never see any of that sort of stuff. Uh, and I'm just wonder, like, I wonder just like how special those folks feel when they get their, their stories told by Procore. I mean, what I've, what I've heard them tell me is the word goosebumps. Wow. You know, look, the industry does a good job of celebrating itself. Every, you know, every state has a, you know, association, every trade has its own association and they do awards and the, you know, the trade magazines do awards, they celebrate the projects, but the, the storytelling that those associations, you know, they're associations, they're not marketing companies. And so they tend to be pretty cut and dry. Here's the project. Here's why it's hard. And here's why they won. Yeah. And, you know, the thing I try and teach everyone around me is like storytelling is the secret sauce of marketing. It's the message, right? And storytelling is what makes the message memorable. And it's easy because all you need to have a great story. Do you know what you need to have a great story in? No, tell me. You need a protagonist. Sure. The person, the project, you need the protagonist. You need a complication. You know, something has gone wrong. Something has become a challenge. You need a little, some, some humor and some anecdotes along the way, you know, and ultimately you need a resolution and, you know, you can tell any story and make it interesting if you have those four ingredients. And, you know, the thing that I try and evangelize to my product marketers is don't try and teach the product, teach the stories around the product. Because if you, if you can get the salespeople learning the stories, then they will learn stories faster than they will learn product, then they will have more comfort and confidence out in the world talking to customers about why Procore. Yeah. I mean, if Procore can help the Allegiant Stadium be you know, on time, on budget, then I'm sure they can help us, right? That's a lot easier to remember than like features and benefits, right? Like, But we have, I mean, we have thousands of customers who, you know, are small customers who, you know, just do a few million of construction every year who are not building stadiums. And that story is a different story. That's a story of the entrepreneur that gets to get to his kid's baseball game. Totally. But because, you know, he can walk off the job site and know that, you know, questions can still get to him, even if he's not on the job site and he can still have visibility to what's going on. And that's a different type of story. Yeah. You know, we, we talk a lot on this show about, you know, the, the old, uh, the Star Wars reference, right? Where it's like, your customer is Luke and you are not Luke, right? Like you are the lightsaber. Um, like your, pro your product is the lightsaber. 
and you are your salesperson is 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 obi-wan right it's like yeah you're you're not the protagonist they are uh you're just giving them one tool that's one part of their journey but like the force is within them already right and and i think it's an important thing to remember the other thing that's really unique about construction is like at salesforce there's people whose whole job it was is to run sales operations right or to run uh, marketing operations. And these are people that are technologists by training and by trade. And CIOs are the ones that buy Salesforce and they're, they're, they buy software by trade. People in this industry are not technologists in the sense that they care about software. So they need it to, they need it to feel simple and easy and work out of the box versus, you know, we're going to give you a really powerful tool that you have to go build. So it's funny you say that. I, I did want to go back to the Einstein story for a second yeah. um, as a parallel to this, because one of the things with Einstein is that it's not really a product. You can't buy Einstein. Well, no, no there's no AI in the world that's a product. Yeah. So, so how do you think about marketing something that's like that, right? Is it, is it different than a traditional product? Is it the same? Or how did, how did you think about that? Well, AI is a category of platform services. And like all platforms, whether you're selling developer platforms and developer services, or whether you're selling even application platforms like Procore, you know, there's no secret that the, the two things that matter are use cases and customer success. So what we really zoned in on was like, not talking about how the AI worked or why the AI was special, although we did do that in the technology circles to earn credibility. But we really focused on like, well, if we're saying we're AI for CRM, what does that mean? Well, it means that you can have lead scoring. It means you can have the right message delivered to the right person and focused on what AI unpacks for the customer. And then we, you know, paired that with the story of the customer that will get up and say why they're using AI to run a better story. And, you know, we have AI in, in Procore application and, if I were to walk on a job site and talk about AI to a contractor, I would probably get kicked off the job site. They would probably be like, what the F are you talking about, dude? You know, but if I go in and say, hey, you know, one of the cool things about Procore is that we can auto tag all the photos you upload to Procore. So you don't need to worry about whether that photo is photo of a pipe or a ladder. Like we do that automatically. Or whether, you know, we can figure out like one of the things we're prototyping right now is how to take, you know, when you do a punch list, you walk around and you look at, look at different things and how to use like natural language processing to really make taking notes on a job site easier. So there's a bunch of different applications across every software category for AI. And all AI does in software is reduce the friction, right? It, all it does is, is make the software easier to use or organize the data that was unstructured into structured data so that you can score it, prioritize it to, you know, understand, you know, what to do first. And so, you know, it's the same thing that with Einstein that we're doing with Procore is we're just going right to use cases and talking about use cases and when possible, avoiding AI. I love it. Okay. Before we get into our lightning round here, I just wanted to, to open up any other favorite campaigns you've had over the years, or maybe a favorite learning experience from a campaign uh, that didn't go so well. You know, the one of the one one of the campaigns I really just have a fond memory of is when we 
it's like way back early in my career, but it, it really was when we launched um, Salesforce One, which was uh, just a rebranding of the Salesforce platform. And it was actually very few features and just a, a way to change the conversation on our technology. And the, the thing that I loved about that campaign, and then I'll, I have another campaign I'll share because there's a different learning, but that campaign was great because we actually invested for the first time in my career that I remember in print assets. And it's kind of like a crazy thing to think about like, oh, well, we're all marketers. We do everything digitally and the salespeople call people, but like, oh, wait a minute, we're going to create a printed brochure, which is a lot of work and it goes bad. It's like a, you know, it's like more like fish than wine. It goes bad fast. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we created a, a bunch of printed assets and brochures so people could actually touch and feel the use cases of what you could build with the platform. And you know, ever since then, I've always been a big fan of direct mail and print, print leave behinds. Not so much now that we're not getting together, but there's something very nice about having like tangible pieces of marketing that people can, you know, actually hand to someone in a meeting. Right. And then the other campaign that, that, uh, you know, I would say the groundbreaker campaign is a great one, but the, the best campaigns that are actually, you know, I don't, I can't name a single, uh, like a, a single one that stands out, but like, I'll tell you what I look for in a good campaign is when you can get the, the, the marketers and the salespeople working the campaign together. Yeah. Because like you could, you could measure a campaign just by form responses. Right. And saying like, you know, what we really care about is like, we're going to go, we care about them responding to the, to the ad or to the, to the landing page. But if you can get the salespeople talking about the campaign pushing the campaign in parallel, that is money, right? I totally agree. When you see them link it up in that, uh, in that email signature box, you're like, I have struck gold. Yeah. You know, and I think, I think um, there's not anything that the listeners would, would know from the Procore, but there's a bunch of like, you know, smaller campaigns we, we've run at Procore that have been very effective because we've gotten the, we've gotten strong responses and the salespeople use it outbound. I mean, a good example, actually, you know, that I'm thinking about it, like our recent ROI report that we put out, you know, like gets a lot of responses out in the web and salespeople love using it because, you know, it's a door opener and a reason to, to call. I don't know if I would call an ROI report a campaign, but it's an example of a campaign tactic that I think works really well together. All right, let's get into our lightning round. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. You know this all too. I don't need to tell you, but Everybody else can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more about marketing on the world's number one CRM. That is Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions. Jim, are you ready? I am ready. What does Salesforce do? <laughs> yeah, right. They, they got a, and they got a marketing platform too. Um, number one, who's your favorite A's player of all time? Oh, that's easy. That's Ricky Henderson. Oh yeah. I met him at Krogan's, uh, in, in Montclair. I don't know if you've ever been, but, uh, he signed a baseball for me. Great man. He's awesome. Do you have any, uh, TV shows or, or books or podcasts or anything like that that you've been binging recently? Uh, my wife and I are rewatching Seinfeld from the beginning because it's been over a decade since we've done that, since I've watched it and it's still gold. Like it's timeless. It's gold. And, uh, you know, just. For those who have never seen it, they should watch it. And if you've seen it, go rewatch it. It's gold. And it's easy. It's half an hour. If you weren't in marketing, in fact, if you weren't in business at all, what do you think you'd be doing? Uh, I'd be a chef. Ooh. But I guess that's a business too. 
Well, yeah. But cooking is, is like my, is my Zen. Uh, it's a creative puzzle. It's, I can't be digital. It's not a digital activity. It's, there's a pleasure I get in taking care of people by giving them food. It's like the old Jewish grandma on me. <laughs> um, uh, favorite dish recently? I mean, uh, one of my old executives at Salesforce gave me his fried chicken recipe, John Ball's fried chicken. Uh, that's scrumptious. And uh, my bread game has been on point this year. That sourdough bread game. Oh, yeah. The homemade bread stuff is just so, so good. Yeah. Fried chicken and bread. Who could go wrong? I did, uh, I did fried chicken and waffles the other day uh, at home. It was my first time doing it, and uh, it was so good. I miss fried chicken and waffles. It might be the thing I miss the most. It might be my, my first meal outside of quarantine when I can sit down. No, it might be my go-to. What's your best advice for a first-time CMO? Well, I would say lots of humility and focus on trying to learn one or two things at a time. Don't try and everything. The single most important thing I did when I got here was went out and hired a great leadership team. I have what I think is the best leadership team in SaaS marketing. Uh, and you know, you're only as good as your team and hiring is one of the most important things you do as the, as the number one. So making sure that you set the culture by hiring the right leaders is super important. And then, you know, Two years in, the thing that I'm really trying to learn that I wish I had focused on on day one was I wish I had been a little bit more focused on um, planning the organizational rhythm of the business. Mm. I think it's easy to take for granted when you're at a large company like Salesforce, there is a rhythm of the business. And what I had to realize after two years is that it's actually my job to set the rhythm. <laughs> it's my job as a CMO to set the rhythm of the business. When do we do our user conference? When, do we, when are we planning? When are we doing research on personas? And so that's a big focus of mine right now is setting our operational cadence. That's a great insight. I have not heard that one before. That is a really good one. Well, Jim, thanks so much for joining. We really appreciate it. Uh, obviously, everybody should check out Procore.com. Only if you're in construction. Well, no, if you're a marketer, you just need a, need a good, uh, good website to check out, some good copy and everything, inspo. We're hiring. So small plug, if, you, if you're looking to get on a rocket ship, hit me up. Yeah. Anything else to plug? Any final thoughts? You know, I, this is, I've been doing a lot of career conversations this week because uh, we're doing our, our annual focals. And the big thing I tell everyone is like, if you focus on learning one thing a year, you know, over 20 years, you're going to be a freaking genius. So just uh, don't try and learn it all in one go. I love it. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jim. We really appreciate it. Thanks, Ian. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.